and I just went home and cried. Like I literally just went home and, and cried and cried and cried. And I was like, I don't know if, if I can keep doing this. And then of course you just like wake up the next day and keep doing it. <laughs> this is Funded, a show where founders who raised millions in venture capital share the gritty side of what it actually took to get that money in the bank. I'm Jason Ye, your host. Not too long ago, I was trying to get my ideas funded. And once upon a time, I was a VC listening to founders pitch me for money. That founder you heard at the top is Asharna Walsh. Today, she's sitting on millions in investment. But back then, she was crying because no one wanted to dive into uncharted waters with her. The thing is, we all know those waters well. We just think they're taboo. I'm talking about sex. And that's what she did. She went around to VC after VC talking about sex until she found a partner willing to back her idea, an app for sexual self-improvement. That app, Coral, has impressively attracted two rounds of funding, and she got there by getting in the room with mostly white men to discuss issues in the bedroom. She says she's always been kind of an ear for people, which goes back to her childhood, when she would listen to her friends for hours on the phone. I think I've always been um, someone who's really interested in other people and and how they feel. So um, my mum used to say, you know, she's a Sri Lankan mother, very much obsessed with me getting good grades and doing what I should do professionally. Um, I was meant to be sort of, you know, a do- I was meant I was meant to be a lawyer or a doctor. Um, of of course, course, as you probably can relate to. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, I'd spend hours on the phone to my friends talking about their feelings um, and sort of counseling people through various things. So I think that was really consistent with my, what I'm doing now as a mm. business. What about, you know, were you comfortable talking with people like in front of people? I don't think I've I don't think I've ever been comfortable public speaking. So I've never been comfortable in situations where it's one to many, where sort of I'm the center of attention, um, where it's not a dialogue, um, anything where it's a monologue, I've always felt like pretty, pretty unsafe. (laughs) What about your relationship with asking for things, asking for favors and maybe in some future state asking for money? Yeah, that um, that's something I definitely had to develop. So that was not something that came naturally um, at all. Yeah, that that's it's always interesting to hear like where people came from and and the things that feel super unnatural um, when you're going around raising millions of dollars. So, you know, Coral is is this something you've thought about for a while, or you know, did it come out? Um, because you, you you read some book about business opportunities and this is the one that you had to do. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think I've wanted to start a business that has a positive impact for a really long time. So, you know, um, when I was at university, I studied economics and law. I grew up in Canberra, which is the capital of Australia. And it's really not a place that fosters entrepreneurship or innovation. It's about government. Um, I always thought I would work for a government or for a nonprofit as a lawyer. Um, and I went into those jobs after university. So I, um, I was working at a law firm. I worked in economic policy for the Australian Prime Minister. Um, and I realized pretty quickly that that wasn't the way to achieve social impact 
as quickly as I would have liked. And so the idea of somehow combining the profit incentive with social good was really appealing to me. Um, But it took me a long time to figure out what that thing was. And when I had the idea for Coral, I was actually sitting at my kitchen table ideating as I, I do all the time and have done for many years about like different types of businesses I might want to start and uh, I had the idea for Coral and it was like a light bulb moment like all the cogs in my brain sort of oh, wow. synced and I was like oh okay that's it and I knew straight away like and and from that moment I haven't had any doubt that this is what I'm meant to be doing and that the vision I have for this company is is what I want to create. I mean that's that's an amazing way to hear someone describe their startup. Um, me as an investor, me as an advisor, that's that's probably my number one filter of of, of what I want to see. Um, but when you think about like finally realizing that this is what you wanted to do, did you know it would be a venture backed business, or was that something that you had to like discover for yourself? Um, so I used to be a venture capitalist. I was actually working as a venture capitalist when I had this idea and I, um, never wanted to start a venture backed business because of that. (laughs) I kind of knew, um, how hard it was and how generally the outcomes are binary, right? They're either incredibly successful or failure, and you, because you're pushing so hard to reach that extreme success. And I know, you know, there are paths off on that, on that journey, if you're lucky and you get a good acquisition offer, but generally it's that binary outcome. And so I never thought, especially given my personal priorities around wellness and, and relationships and family and all that sort of stuff, um, that I would want to start a venture backed business. So when I had this idea, I knew it was a venture-backed business and I knew that venture capital would allow me to reach that scalable social impact of potentially impacting millions of people's lives. And so, you know, I was 29, I think, and I was just like, you know what, let's give this a red hot go. I can run at it for three to five years if I can do it now before I have kids. Um, and this is really the only window where I'm likely to do this. So, so let's go. And so that's why I made the decision to go for it. It's amazing. I mean, uh, we've had other conversations where we bring to light, um, one of the things great VCs do, which is they actually try to convince people not to take venture capital. And if it's not for them, you know, you you don't take venture capital. And so you, having a light bulb moment with a passion um, and all the inside knowledge of why you shouldn't, why somebody shouldn't take venture capital, right? decide to go do it. Yeah. Um, very interesting transition to me then asking you, once you realized that you, you wanted to do this one, that it was a passion and two, that like you wanted it to be a venture backed business to have as much impact as possible. Did your mind, immediately go to how difficult it would be to raise money <laughs> knowing what you know about the industry i don't mean to lead the witness but i am curious it's funny because i just i i reached this point like a year um maybe even more than a year in maybe it was even after i raised my seed round of like i'm i'm crazy like this is crazy but at the time 
the the i like the idea and like what we're doing just feels so obvious and so right and like such a huge opportunity and such great market timing that i was more like why wouldn't people give me money and i didn't think about like exactly how hard it was going to be and i think if i had then maybe i would have felt less excited <laughs> but you know here yeah. we are <laughs> totally totally and, and so at this point i mean we can we can give a happy end, tease a happy ending. You have raised um, two rounds of funding. Um, but as I think about the methods and the approaches that VCs use to evaluating um, potential opportunities, you know, it does make me wonder what that journey was like. So I, I wonder if you could kind of rewind back and think about, can you share how much you ended up raising in your seed round? Um, yeah, so so we raised a small pre-seed and then a seed round. Um, oh, I see. And okay. So in total, we've raised um, a bit over three point two million. Can you talk me through, especially preparing for this last raise? Yeah. Um, what the story was, you know, what you thought you had, and how you would actually convince people that this was an opportunity. Yeah. So I mean, essentially, we're creating your trusted guide to a happier, healthier, intimate life. So we want to be your trusted source of support and inspiration for all things relating to your sex life. And the way we do that is through um, learning, teaching you um, sex positive, pleasure focused, sex ed, the stuff that we should be taught, but we never are. Um, Talking, so community, providing a, a safe, positive place where people share more vulnerably what they're experiencing, which is incredibly normalizing and validating because we're not having those conversations publicly. And then playing, so guided exercises to help you experience something differently to how you have before. Um, so we really want to become a tool for you to explore the, the extent of what is available for you pleasure-wise, connection-wise, intimacy-wise, um, either alone or with a partner. Um, the way that can turn into a billion-dollar business is manifold, right? And the one that's the most obvious is we can look at other wellness companies like a Headspace or a Calm that have particularly Calm been incredibly successful just with this simple annual subscription content model where people use it as a tool for their mental health in other areas, whether that be anxiety and depression or sleep assistance. Um, so that's the one that's the most straightforward pattern matching. Um, we have an interesting angle from a data perspective as well, because we uh, learn so much about our users um, in the way that they engage with the platform. Um, and so that data set is really unique and we're very adamant, like that's not something we're going to sell, but I think it's, there's things that we can do with that as a company. Um, privacy is super important, obviously. So that's kind of the overall broad, broad brush story that I went in with. Coming up, how that story initially flopped and got some much needed help from, well, baby making. I spend most of my days one-on-one with founders, helping them understand strategies that make a difference in fundraising. 
One super important tip I always stress with founders is to make sure they send their decks and materials using a document sharing tool. And for that, I always recommend DocSend. DocSend lets you know what's happening with your deck after you send it along with real-time analytics and notifications. Did the VCs actually open it? What slides did they spend the most time on? And if you think it got shared with the wrong people, or maybe you made a mistake and sent it too quickly, DocSend lets you control access and make updates to content even after sending. Sign up for a free two-week trial at DocSend.com funded. That's D-O-C-S-E-N-D.com funded. If you haven't figured it out, Asharna is the first of something. She's going where no one has gone before. And that can excite some investors, but not before turning a lot of them off. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, you know, what you ran up against when um, starting to pitch your story, because when I think about the easiest things and the, sort of the cheats, that investors use yes. is around <laughs> things that they understand or yes. that they know. Um, it's why we have multiple billion-dollar valuations for note-taking apps, of all things. <laughs> um, and you, you just mentioned pattern matching, which mm-hmm. you know, we can lightly describe as um, investors essentially investing in what they've seen before, mm-hmm. <laughs> what they've seen be successful before. And so... Maybe you can tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how difficult that was or some of the difficult times around that. Um, so for us, I actually probably about halfway through my fundraise process started saying, okay, it's like as if Calm and Netflix had a baby and that baby was all about sex just to like Instagram for cats. Like I <laughs> use that as a joke, but you know, yeah. investor minds are, are pretty simple. You kind of right. have to connect the dots for them. Yeah. So that was definitely one. Um, and then there's obviously all the stuff around, like, you know, I'm a young woman walking into a, a room talking about sex. So that's a whole other thing as well. Yeah. I mean, feel free to steer us in a different direction, but, um, you know, I, I actually work with, um, a number of underrepresented founders, women, people of color, um, and everyone has a different perspective on, on what that feels like. Um, it sounds very intense what you had to do given obviously you're a woman, but the, the topic and the, the sort of underlying content of your company in particular can make people uncomfortable. Do, do you feel like, you were surprised at how open people were or was it, um, do you have bad stories? <laughs> As you were saying that, I was like, no, it's probably exactly what I would have expected. Um, that is funny. I, so, okay. So, you know, I, I actually probably feel like I experienced more issues as an investor um, in terms of like sexual harassment type stuff than I have as a founder. That might be the timing of my, experiences Mm. because of the me too kind of conversation, I think put a lot of investors on their best behavior. So that might've been part of it. Um, but I also think in some ways having, um, you know, I, you know, you don't get into a meeting unless someone's seen your pitch deck. So they already know what I'm talking about. Um, 
But I also think having such an explicit subject matter actually disarmed that kind of um, dynamic from being being a problem Mm. Um, just in terms of harassment. But then but then there's being a woman and not a white woman either and not from a privileged background. Like I don't tick any of those boxes. Um, And then and then also having to navigate the nuances of the sensitivity of the investor I was pitching to during a pitch about sexuality was quite difficult because it's also, you know, I think a lot of female invest, I'm sorry, entrepreneurs um, pitching a product for females um, or, you know, like women pitching a product for women um, have the issue that the investor doesn't understand the, the problem. But when I go into a pitch and I talk about, um, you know, the majority of causes of erectile dysfunction being psychological and therefore this is an incredibly powerful and huge product and a huge market to help deal with an issue that affects, you know, over 40% of men at some point. Um, that's really interesting from an investive standpoint, if you think about it. <laughs> oh, sure. But it's also like, like <laughs> if I agree that's gonna be embarrassing. Right. If I <laughs> right, right. Right. Um No, wow. So that just, is a minefield yeah. <laughs> for you to navigate. <laughs> yeah. Um maybe why don't why don't you talk about that a little bit more? Like uh because I do obviously like you know, you have a very unique business. Um but I do run into a lot of founders who are, you know, come from these backgrounds and need to navigate this idea of like sort of finding common ground with the person that they're talking to. Uh, and then also have a product that likely the, the investor doesn't know, you know, so how did you think about that? How did you get people comfortable um, talking about these things and, and lead them along essentially? Yeah. So, so you know, one thing was that I had been a venture capitalist and, and you know, I got that role um, really out of left field. Like, you know, I, you know, when I joined the industry, it was 95% men um, and, and 40% of people were from Harvard and Stanford, which is also a statistic that isn't spoken about very often, but I find just as mind blowing because essentially you have all of this investment capital being controlled by graduates from the two most prestigious, two, two most prestigious universities in the country. Um, when you think about the level of privilege it, it requires to go to that, that kind of um, school, it's, it's kind of astonishing. So I'd already learned a bit about like the talk and the walk from having been an investor myself and being exposed to that environment ahead of time so one way depending on the investor that I handled it was very much um, focusing on the abyss on the business rather than the emotionality so you know this is a huge industry it's a massive problem no one's attacking it the way that we are we have this opportunity to become a market leader Um, all of those things like really pushing it down that that path, I think, um, Mm -hmm. was one way I navigated it. And then the other was, um, you know, I'm very comfortable talking about sex and sexuality myself. And so my comfort with the subject matter often would put the investor at ease. Um, I mean, I make a joke, like, I I definitely know intimate details about 
many investors' sex lives after after having pitched them um, because they're comfortable. You know, the, certain certain investors are comfortable sort of opening up sure. and, and sharing their experiences. Or, or you know, when I when I explain what we're trying to do, being like, oh yeah, you know, like I'm of an age where like many of my friends are struggling with these things, and my partner and I have struggled with these things, and I can totally see how this product would be really helpful. Um, oh wow. So, yeah, it depends on the vibe in the room a bit yeah. as well. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I, I'm curious, did you have to pitch a, a, a lot of VCs to find who would eventually yeah. lead you around? Okay. So, yeah, because, you, you know, you did mention, you know, you, you got some investors to open up about their sex lives, which to me was like, wow, that's kind of crazy. And I, I wouldn't have expected that. Um, was, was your lead investor, one of those investors who was very open? Yeah. So, and that's the thing. And I think that was the other thing I realized through this process and it's part of like, just, it's going to be my journey and I just have to be okay with that is like, not everyone's going to get this. So for example, like I think in a high, like consensus driven firm where a partner has to go in and pitch Coral to their partner group, it is going to be way harder because that investor has to come in and be like, hey, you know what I think's awesome? A product to help people have better sex. And like intimacy is a real problem. And this is a really interesting tool for navigating a huge market that is sex. Like a lot of investors are not going to be willing to use their social capital on that issue. Um, and they're going to be too worried about the way it makes themselves look. And, and then also there's going to be a lot of, other people in that room that might have reactions to what I'm trying to do. So like our lead for our seed just got it. Like he was just like, Oh my God, I've been thinking about this vertical. Like I've been looking for something in this space. Your approach makes total sense. Like I'm a hundred percent on board. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the follow-up question is where in your process, uh, you know, rough rough numbers broad strokes did you meet him like was uh, he like, first introduction no, like ha- so far in and so actually far in. Oh. i had been introduced to a different partner at the same fund but she doesn't usually look at consumer apps mm. um so she was like intrigued but it was right before summer and then i didn't follow up because i was told never to follow up with someone who doesn't follow up with me which i think is actually true because if someone's really excited then they will follow up yep. Yep. um and so, and then someone else was like, oh no, this is the person you need to speak to at the same fund hmm. um, later in the process. And so- No um, way. Yeah. And so then that I That could came... have been a misconnection easily. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. I uh, mean- No. So the reason I ask you actually is that means, you know, 20 first meetings in, you're, you're, you know, you're striking out left and right. Um what did that feel like? Uh, what was going through your mind before you, you know, before you actually met this one investor? Uh, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it was a slog. It was a slog. I don't think, I think so many women struggle to raise money in the sexuality space. And I was probably like two, at least two months in and it was probably more than 20 meetings, frankly. Um, and it's so weird, Jason. So I, never lost conviction that I would raise money, but I was exhausted. And like, 
I remember uh, I, <laughs> I have this one clear, like the, probably the lowest point of that fundraise. I had, um, I was in San Francisco for like this sixth week in a row where I'd like gotten on a flight, like flown up the bay. Um, and I was meant to go for a surf with my friends on a Saturday. And I was like, so looking forward to just like not thinking about coral mm. and fundraising. <laughs> and this investor was like, oh, I can meet you tomorrow at this cafe. And I was like, oh, fuck, you know, it's Saturday. Ugh, I, like I should do it. Um, so I went and met him and, and it was one of those meetings where I was like, why did you even take this meeting? Like I walked in and he was like asking me my like DAU, WAU, MAU, I was like, I haven't even launched yet. And you know that, like, I've got a beta product. It has about 8,000 mm-hmm. users. And actually, you know, our weekly averages were apparently about on par with Headspace on a beta product built by two people. Like, like I was like, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> um, and he just drilled me on metrics. And I was like, what are we doing here? Right. Like... <laughs> This is a seed round. Right. <laughs> like, what? and I just went home and cried. Like I literally just went home and, and cried and cried and cried. And I was like, I don't know if, if I can keep doing this. And then of course you just like wake up the next keep day going. and keep doing it. <laughs> Did, so, I mean, I mean, I don't know if we can say obviously for you or whatever, but um, from my vantage point, having spent a lot of time with founders, it's, I mean, that is not an unusual situation to <laughs> no. go through. Um, did you feel yourself over those 20 meetings being swayed and and someone saying, you know, Sharna, uh, do you really want to focus on fully sex? Maybe it can be more like meditation and mental. I mean, did you start getting buffeted by people's opinions or, or were you pretty strong and like sort of sticking to your guns? No, I'm, I, it's, it's, again, this is weird. And I think, um, I don't know, I don't know what it is like to be another entrepreneur or like, this is my first venture startup. So like, I've been so clear on our vision the whole time and like through the whole, even as weird, it was like, and sometimes I get a little bit anxious that I'm delusional, like, or, or like that it doesn't make sense that I've got this much conviction, but even through the seed round and it taking a while to raise money, it was more just like, these people are idiots and I need to find the right one more than like, am I doing the right thing? <laughs> Which may be crazy, but here we are. <laughs> I, I'll say this. I almost use the exact same words when I talk to entrepreneurs. So you've, you've got it down. Um, fast forward. So it's, it's been like a difficult 21st meetings. No one's really getting it, but you did find- Well, actually that was what was really hard. So a lot of people got it and I had a lot of cash soft circled, but no lead. So Mm. I actually had the whole round, like I had enough capital committed, but there was, they were, no one was willing to lead it. And I, again, I don't know if that was being a woman, being a not like- not like pattern match founder of the subject matter. Like, I don't know what it was, but like all these people were willing to write me a check. Just no one was willing to like lead it. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the tough thing too, is it's so easy for someone to tell you, Oh yeah, yeah. Like I'll, I'll invest. 
as long as you go get a lead. It's like they've got like half conviction and you're like, cool, can someone just write me a term sheet and then this is done. After the break, what it felt like when she finally got that term sheet in hand. In my world as an entrepreneur, data is so important. I check dashboards all the time to make sure decisions I make are producing the best results for my company. It's kind of why I've always been so frustrated with personal health, where my weight and blood pressure are the only metrics available. Because I got really lucky with jeans, I could have pizza and a beer or salad and water and not see any difference. That's why I've been all over a red hot startup called Levels. Levels is the first bio-wearable that provides real-time data on how what you eat impacts your health. So now, the same way I can see how tweaks to my website affect conversion rates immediately, I can see how that taco I had for lunch is affecting my health all in real time. Levels literally has a 60,000 person waiting list for their early access program, which is why it's taken me so long to get one. But I'm excited to share that they've offered listeners of Funded a chance to skip the line. To get early access, just visit levels.link slash funded. Okay, back to the show. Everyone remembers where they were when they got their first term sheet. It's like your first kiss and hitting a game-winning shot, all wrapped into one. It's just something you don't forget. And with Asharna, it was no exception. Do you remember finding out that they were going to invest? Do you remember where you were? And Yes. <laughs> I remember exactly where I was. Tell me about it. It's actually at a friend's, friend's bachelorette party in Palm Springs. I think we're no, we're in Arizona. We're in Arizona, Phoenix, um, and we're going to Sedona. And I was sitting at this cafe, um, and I remember, yeah, I remember the phone call, and I think I, I think I probably cried then too. <laughs> and then I called my mum. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, this is a podcast, not a, a vlog or what do you call them, but. I, I sometimes just like asking the question because when you see someone's when a founder's face goes to like thinking about that time, it's just like this this look of pure joy because it, it is this. I mean, I remember my own experience of like so much anxiety around whether or not it's going to happen, and yeah. then it kind of happens. Um, well, I, was, I remember trying to explain to my friends because I was at a wedding um, like a couple months like in the middle of the fundraise, quite a couple months earlier, and. And people being like, oh, how are you? And I was like, oh, yeah, like, pretty stressed. <laughs> they're like, you know, what's going on? And my Australian friends, like, this is – so I didn't know what a venture capitalist was till I was 26. And so, like, for my friends, it's, like, such a weird context. Like, they don't really get it. Um, but I, I tried to explain it to them, and I was like, so I am tr- basically having, like, four intense job interviews – a day, a couple of days a week for weeks on end, uh, not to get a new job, but to just keep my job and not just to keep my job, but also to keep my team's jobs. And they were like, oh yeah. 
Like that sounds hard. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I've I've never heard it described like that, but it's so good. Um, well, I actually, you know, I, I wasn't planning on asking you about this, but in order to twist it to something fun, <laughs> which I always love seeing, um, t- tell me what it was like after you got the term sheet, and now you're in the driver's seat. So yeah, um, I'm assuming you raised X million dollars in your lead decided to take call it 60 to 70 percent of it yeah right yeah you want to talk me through that a little bit yeah well I think that's the other thing that um people I mean I definitely underestimated I don't know if everyone underestimates this but just like the sheer volume of stuff that you're meant to do as a founder that you have literally no idea how to do so like even as a VC I had never like I'd never actually gone through the full deal process with an entrepreneur. Um, like, you know, our lawyers handled that and my, like I, I had partners at the fund. So they like did the sort of day to day back and forth with the founder. And so um, it was just like a bit like, I don't know what I meant to do now. Like, okay, so I have a term sheet, like my lawyers, I was like asking my lawyers, like, what do I do? And so like, I had to go back to those other people who had offered cash and then round that up. And then all that coordination and like trying to close, I didn't, I didn't quite realize there's also a skill set in like closing a commitment after it's kind of what you mentioned, like the half commitment, like, yeah, I'll write you a check. And then like actually having to go back to those people and be like, okay, but now you have to run your check. So all that stuff and like corralling all that. Um, but then the craziest moment, I guess, is when it, all the wires come in and then you're like, oh my God, okay, now I have a bank account with millions of dollars in it and and I meant to do something with that. Like now I have to do do something. And, and that now, was- the thing that I said I did, I was <laughs> yeah. gonna do, I gotta go do that. <laughs> yeah, that was another thing to like talking to my friend, like again, my friends are like, so like, how does it work now? Do you like get a, give them a budget and they give you some money? And I'm like, no, I literally have a bank account with millions of dollars in it. Here is the credit card. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's wild. So you also touched on one other thing I was curious about. Um, you know, XVCs have a much easier time figuring out the details around this but mm-hmm. as you mentioned and you know i i spent years as a vc as well but didn't really learn the details until i got into it um how did you how did you navigate the the strategies and the skill sets to like do the things that are required to you know, close people out and and actually get people to invest honestly i have no idea and i don't think i'm particularly good at it and like i think i need to learn frankly like i i I mean i think i i got through our seed with like a lot of determination and like a pretty compelling story um i'm like very comfortable and articulate when like one-on-one particularly with with people so like i think that got me through could i have been better at it like absolutely no doubt (laughs) do i think i need to practice before i raise my next round yeah probably should invest the time and effort in getting some sort of a coach or like mentor to help me get better at particularly selling well well, on that point what do you think some of your biggest mistakes were that looking back on it this is an awful thing to say but i'll say it (laughs) um i i'm like a super honest super transparent person like it's it's almost like there's no real filter most of the time (laughs) and I don't I think that's really good in life like I think that um it means that I 
build really quality, meaningful relationships. Um, and like investors will tell you that that's good in fundraising, but I don't think it's good. I think, I think you need to be very strategic in the way that you have these conversations and like what information you disclose versus not, um, how you like numbers can tell so many different stories. So it's like, I think, yeah, I think I was a bit naive about like, like, of course this just all makes so much sense. So of course people are going to invest in it. Like, I think I, yeah, I think there's something about like strategy and psychology and sort of being very conscious about how you come across and how you paint a picture. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It's interesting to hear you say that because you were a VC. I mean, what, what I tell people about the fundraising process that's difficult is that it, um, it is like a version of sales, right? You mm-hmm. were just talking about getting better at sales. And in traditional sales, they really teach you, you need to get in the mind of the buyer. Like you need to know why a certain person needs to buy your product so that when you sell it to them, you can play on the things that are important. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is so difficult um, even for an XVC that has no filter. <laughs> Well, close cousin to that question, you know, you have obviously learned a lot through two rounds of fundraising uh, and everyone learns with practice, but what is, you know, what is one or two lessons that you've learned that you would either tell a younger version of yourself or when other founders are asking you for advice, like what are some important things you, you share with them? Um, one thing I would say to other minority founders, particularly and founders who don't fit the mold which I wish I had known going into my, particularly my last round, was it's just going to be harder for you. And that's just the way it is. And it sucks and that's not how the world should be and we're going to change the world. But until we change the world, it's just the way that it is. And so just accept that. Like, I think I think that's one thing I wish, like, if I had gone in with the expectation that, like, this might just take me a bit longer... This might just be a bit harder. I might get more no's. I might get a lower valuation. And like just accepting that that's just the status quo right now, because obviously I'm angry about that and I find it frustrating and I want to change it, but we can't change it right now. We can change it over time and we will. Um, But that I think was one big, one big one that I wish I could have told myself earlier. And I think the other thing would be around um maybe i mean maybe what i just mentioned like being more strategic and thinking carefully about how you can make it as easy as possible for an investor to say yes it's so good i meant that um i've given that first piece of advice before and it doesn't always land the way you want it to no like which but is, it is tough love. I think it's tough love, right? Like yeah. you, you want people to succeed and you want them to know the realities of the world and that we'll all, we're all trying to change it. But um, where we are right now is a difficult position and right. it's going to require more. Right. And honestly, like for you, Ishana, and other people out there, it's like the fact that you've pushed through this. I mean, you're, you're part of the change. I think other people will be part of the change. So um yes. kudos to you thank you I love that i really appreciate that yeah um 
I've I've been so excited to follow your career, and when you started this, I you know kind of knew that this would be an awesome journey for you. So it's awesome to be able to sit down and hear more about this story. I I uh, want to ask you some fun things about the whole process and and things that you've gone through, but obviously. Well, maybe not obviously, but what I'm hoping for mm-hmm. is that there is a blooper reel in your head about the stuff that has come up for <laughs> like people needing to do diligence on your product. I would kind of joke about like how many times can I make an investor blush? Like, cause, <laughs> you know, we're sitting in like a fancy boardroom in a fund in San Francisco and like, I'm like, blah, 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 orgasm, blah, 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 threesome, blah, 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 blah. Like it's sexual novelty. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like just sitting there and like the colors slowly going up their face <laughs> oh man when when you go out to raise your next round one i hope you tell me so i know um in case i have a chance at your round and then two i want to create a custom bingo card for you <laughs> where it's like if you can have these things happen during a pitch, during a pitch. yeah 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 it's so funny yeah, I mean, because that was a part of my calibration process was also like, because it's really difficult because I think also people have all these questions, but they don't want to ask them because they feel uncomfortable. Mm. Like, like, how do you actually make sex better? Like, even just that, like, we have to go into detail, right? Like, mm-hmm. a lot of people suffer from, like, all of these sexual dysfunctions or issues, but also a lot of people just want to have better sex and, like, pleasure when you start talking about like experiencing more orgasms or um, like more reliable erections or like, you know, mindfulness for desire. Um, we have guided blowjobs, guided vulva massage. Like when you start talking about that kind of stuff, you're in doing detail, it to me. You're, getting, you're, <laughs> yeah, there you're checking go. off the bingo card for me. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you want to like give color about like what we're actually providing. Um, you know, like learning blowjob techniques, sure, you can get that in Cosmo, but then like having someone actually guide you through a blowjob while you're doing it to your partner is actually like a really cool experience and very novel and like rewarding and high impact, especially in the context of a long-term relationship um, where people are seeking novelty um, within the context of their relationship. Right. So there's a lot of value in that stuff, but yeah, you have to like explicitly <laughs> talk about that. And then they're suddenly thinking about a guided blowjob. <laughs> so like, <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. And then our DAUs are also up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about yeah. CAC LTV. <laughs> well, um, look, I, I wish I could have been a fly on your wall throughout the course of your fundraise, both the CU um, breakthrough because I know that must have been just like you described it a slog but also hopefully hilariously funny yeah. experiences along the way yeah there um, are some funny so, anecdotes <laughs> <laughs> so Isharna um, founder and CEO of Coral thanks so much for spending time with us and making us blush <laughs> thank you I've really enjoyed chatting as you just heard Isharna came out on the other side in the end but had a rough go at it. And as you might expect, she's not the only one. Doxen recently published a study, which you can check out in our show notes, that shows female founders raise almost a third less funding than their male counterparts. And that's after talking to almost a quarter more people. So imagine you're a Sharna and you're battling that trend, all while pitching an idea that makes investors squirm. That's what my producer Olivia wanted to know. 
how do you convince investors to back an idea that's kind of unprecedented? Okay, so you, you were listening to that whole call. Could you mm-hmm. tell how embarrassed I was getting or did I hide it well? Um, I thought you hit it so well. You seemed so mature and like competent. Um, I was right there with you though. Like I felt like it was a it's a hard topic to talk about openly and honestly. Yeah. I mean, as she was talking about some of those situations. I mean, we, we talked about some serious topics, but as she really got into painting the picture of it, what, what it was like to pitch this particular business, I, yeah. you know, one, I got a little embarrassed. And then yeah. two, you know, it really, really hit me hard about how difficult that process was. I mean, it's so much of that, that process in that game is about getting people to, um, sit down next to you and, mm-hmm. and really dream alongside of you and think about your product and all, all the ways it could be used. Yeah. Um, and it's an embarrassing topic. Uh. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so complicated because I feel like um, some of the other founders we've talked to have had a hard time getting people to connect with their idea or like to even kind of understand the ballpark they're working in. Hers is so different because everyone that's like uh, above fourth grade, like knows about her topic. But that has its own challenges too, where you're coming into a space that is so charged. Each individual investor seemed like they had their own complicated emotions about it. Yeah. And it's, you know, one of the things people often make a mistake around is assuming that you're investor or the investor that you're talking to is the customer. And in this case, her point is that most people, most adults should be her customer. Yeah. Um, But the, the added like layer of complexity on top of that is how do you get an investor to essentially acknowledge embarrassing challenges? Like probably everybody has at some point, but um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I going through that and kind of understanding what she had to, overcome was was pretty impressive. Yeah, that's so complicated. And yeah, I guess one way she did that was by relating it to companies. It sounds like she really had to spell it out in terms in terms that they would be familiar with. Yeah, totally. She is one of a, a very new breed of companies that is coming out in the sexual wellness wellness space. Um, you know, but there is this concept we we refer to a lot which is pattern matching Mm. and it's it it essentially means that investors are looking to align what they see either in the characteristics of the founder or characteristics of the business to something that they've seen before either as a success or a failure yeah and so when an investor meets an entrepreneur who herself doesn't match a lot of the typical patterns one, not being a man, and two, not being white, mm-hmm. um, and honestly, three, not being for the United States. Yeah. If you layer on top of that a, a business within the sexual wellness space that mm-hmm. is certainly doesn't have a ton of patterns to go after, it was definitely a, um, a challenge for her to, to really make that fit in a, an investor's mind. So I, I get the draw to like using analogies. I mean, I reference it in the call, but I often make the joke, Instagram for cats. Um, but 
when when you're trying when an, an entrepreneur is trying to um, activate the whole, the whole pattern matching response mm-hmm. from investors, dumbing it down and making it simple so that people can be like Netflix content on demand as well as Headspace training the mind, mm-hmm. and then Headspace billion dollars, <laughs> Netflix multiple billion dollars. That I I can see how it would work. So um, I was I was really proud of her for coming around to that. Is that something that every founder does in a pitch? Like, does every founder do a version of that in their in their pitch, like relating it to things that already exist? I wouldn't say every founder, um, but when there are essentially complex components to a company and a pitch that need to be communicated really quickly. One of the tools or one of the approaches that can be used is matching with analogous companies. So if if it's as simple as, you know, we have this widget and we're selling this widget and it solves this problem and it's immediately understandable, mm-hmm. um, then that's certainly not necessary. But um, I know if if you can point to a startup that has reached unicorn status and say like, well, we're like them except for this, then at least people can match like, oh, there is a go-to-market. There is a way to get to customers um, that exposes you to a billion-dollar market. And there is a content type or there is a product type that similarly can be beloved by users and um, turned into an everyday habit. That is a really great connector um, for entrepreneurs to make within an investor's head. Okay, gotcha. It sounds like one of the lessons she learned was letting people go, like knowing who was sellable and who mm. could be convinced and who couldn't. Yeah. And I'm glad she spent time on this too, because um, it's a lesson that I think a lot of founders need to hear from from other founders, which is you're, you're going to get no's. I mean, we've heard that a lot, but more specifically, she realized that not everyone was going to get the coral business or the vision that she had. And if they weren't with her, if they weren't like, oh, I've thought about this problem or, oh, I mm-hmm. also know this is a big problem and it took too much effort to convince them, you know, those aren't the right investors for her. And, um, you know, moving on and focusing her efforts on ones that would understand the story was the right move. And, you know, it's a good segue into this, you know, second thing that I thought was a really powerful statement for her to make. Um, and you know, difficult to talk about, but important for all of us to hear, which is that she she kind of knew and, and found out you know found out in real life that it was just going to be harder for her. Um, she herself was an underrepresented founder, not white, not male, and she had a difficult business, uh, you know, one that you know made some people blush, um, but. With that package and with that um, set of adversities, it, it's just knowing that it's going to be a little bit harder and knowing that she's going to have to keep pushing and knowing to stick to her guns um, and continuing to go until she found the investor who thought like her, um, which I was really impressed about. Yeah, it obviously sounds like it was a really hard journey, of course. And that story she told was just gut-wrenching when she, I guess, she super wanted to go surfing um, that one morning, but then took this last minute meeting where this guy was just like drilling her on numbers that 
um, he probably knew she didn't have. Um, yeah, it sounds like it was it was really hard. It was a yeah. hard process. And you know, unfortunately, sometimes you run into investors who want to show some level of superiority or um, some handle on metrics and asking difficult questions and. It's just annoying when when you run into that, especially as a founder that at that point probably had gone through 50 meetings, all of them being no's. And just to get another one where she got into it, where she's like, this is going to be a waste of time. I mean, that can crush someone's spirit. Um, yeah. So also, you know, honestly, it was also a good story to hear um, other founders that are going through it. Like even the most successful founders, especially in fundraising, go through tough times. And it's a it can be spirit crushing to go through this process because you just have so many people telling you no. You run into these meetings that literally are designed and set up for failure. Um, that one investor probably had no, you know, no intention of really getting excited about the business based on the way Asharna described it. Um, but it's one of those things that that founders have to go through. And so, um, kudos to her for sharing that. Kudos to her for realizing that it's a bump in the road and things are difficult but as long as you stick to you know kind of what your passion is and, and what your north star is as long as you keep finding more people to talk about um and continue to build the business alongside of that um i think the the encouragement is to just keep going and you'll yeah. find an investor who thinks like you yeah no that seemed like a huge strength for her was her conviction like she knew that when people when she was getting no's like it sounds like she didn't let that um make her question her business idea um it sounds like she just kept going um and like made in some ways I think she made her own reality that way and her own luck because it is really easy when someone tells you no to believe them, but um, she would have been wrong because she clearly was able to make it happen. So yeah, it takes a lot of strength not to listen to those no's, um, but she clearly was right about it. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of the thing that would be great to end on, which is like inspiration around strength for founders. And then I'll say it one more time. I, I like, we'll probably lift out one of her quotes that she delivered, which Essentially, it was like, I think everyone in this industry is here to try to change the way things are, um, mm -hmm. but things don't change overnight. And so today and tomorrow and maybe the next day, it's going to be more difficult for certain people. Um, but it's people like her that keep pushing through that set an example. Honestly, she can become the pattern that other entrepreneurs after her get to match against yeah. so that more people that look like her, more, more people that sound like her, more people that come from her background end up getting funded, which, uh, you know, I'm just really excited to see and glad we could find time with her. So yeah, um, really, really loved the conversation. Yeah, it was awesome. Before we go, listeners, do you remember the last time you had to tell your mom something uncomfortable? This clip is for you. Do you remember when you told your mom that you were <laughs> starting this company? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Thanks a ton for listening. If you have any questions related to today's show, 
or maybe you're going through your own fundraise and want to bounce something off of me. If so, shoot me an email at jason at fundedpod.com. I'd really love to help. Find us on social where we showcase other founders who are in the thick of it now. The show is at fundedpod, and I'm at J-A-Y-E-H. That's J-A-Y-Y-E-H. DM us. We'd love to feature your story. This episode was produced by Olivia Reingold. That's me. Hello. Thanks also to Jordan Pascasio from Adamant Ventures for his support. Hey, guys. And shout out to Asharna Walsh for being an amazing guest and for making me blush. One last thanks to our sponsor, Docsend, the most trusted document sharing platform. Thank you.